recorded. Namaste and in Lakhetch. Hi, I'm Zen Benefiel and welcome to One World in a New World. Now you might wonder what those two words mean or the word in the phrase. Namaste means the divine in me recognizes divine in you. And in Lakhetch is an old Mayan phrase that means I am another you. So imagine if we could see each other from that place or those places, wouldn't that be a phenomenal shift in how we behave towards each other? Cool, huh? Great. All right, so this week's show is with Mansi Kakar, and I'll describe her a little bit. She's a pretty amazing woman. Um, she calls herself a pattern transcriber, a mindset weaver, and a warrior goddess, among other things. She's a director of design and innovation at the Early Learning Lab. She's the chief of journey for her blog, which is called the Fireweed Expedition. And the, she's an instructor of social innovation at Stanford University. And she's also the chief Zentrepreneur, taking after you know, the Zenmeister, near and dear to my heart. Um, and she also is a book reviewer and the foundation community weaver at the Barrett Kohler Publishers. So uh, how many more things can this amazing woman include in her life? Mansi, welcome to the show. Hi, Zen. This is awesome. Thank you. Yes, there's there's a lot of wordplay in my life. <laughs> oh, there is. And, and isn't life about wordplay? Mm. Mm. Right? The English language is, is so wonderful to be able to twist and turn and, and have just a lot of fun in how we describe and, and embody life. And of course, words are spellcasters, right? So how, how do we want to create the spell that, you know, imbues our life with that joy and happiness that we're destined to have, yeah. right? And, and we all deserve that. So I, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious that the work that you're doing is really kind of leading edge of shifting the mindsets and, and moving into this um, regenerative, generative kind of environment that we need in the formation of the new normal coming out of whatever this COVID thing was. Right. And, and establishing something that where we learn how to work together better, uh, mm -hmm. utilize people, places, and things more effectively. Mm -hmm. So how, you know, what was your why and how you got started? Mm. You know, when I was a really young girl, the image that's coming to me is of me sitting on my roof um, I would climb out sometimes even when it was sunny out and this is in India I would just look at the clouds and to me looking at the clouds was like like we were having a conversation hmm. like I could ask questions and then the clouds the way they would move would be an answer a riddle for me to figure out what the answer is and this is even before I had any sense of who I am honestly I was a young kid um, and to me, my why is that innate um, ability or gift or whatever this is, where I just feel like I'm in conversation with all of life. Um, and life is in conversation with me. And we're just these two playful kids uh, trying to make sense of what does it mean to be embodied 
in my experience and what does it mean for life to be also this ephemeral energy and we're trying to understand each other and we're trying to take what we're understanding and put that into words and put that into poetry put that into projects or whatever else comes in my way and so my deep why to be very honest is this playful conversation with life um, the second sort of thing that's really alive for me is when I was 18 I, I sort of uh, started on a spiritual path and it was very unusual in the sense that even though I was born and raised in India I was raised in a family or a cultural imprint which was more around uh, fear and and religion as something you have in a temple but not really a way of living and so for me to be meditating was sort of odd and that's weird because in the west everybody goes goes to india for spiritual teachings right <laughs> and i was kind of like the weird one in my family's like why is she meditate um and in in the course of that journey as well um just this deep teaching of of the only true meaning in life is is love and what love wants to do um and what all, love really truly wants to do is serve and that's sort of my why is, is I'm here to give every piece of me and yeah. all of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's such an amazing feeling with, with that. You know, it, it's, you remind me of um, at least one of the ways I turned my experience in the, the NDE that I had when I went into light and came back. The one thing that I came back with was understanding that I'm cosmic consciousness condensed into form. So is everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's where this, playful inquisitiveness that we're connected to everything all it is and what what you're sharing that you kind of had that same experience of recognizing yeah everything speaks everything's available and it's fun to play with because that's the intention behind it is to for us to kind of unfold the natural design that we are mm -hmm. yeah. right that makes sense Oh, I love that. I love the word design that you used. Um, what that brings up for me is, um, you know, I, I was trained as a, a graphic designer and communication designer way back when, many mm -hmm. careers ago. And to me, I, I wrote this one piece and this, I happened to just stumble upon this a few days ago as I was cleaning an old hard drive. And the piece was, I designed, therefore I am. And, and that has been sort of being activated in me even more now where right. you're speaking to that that design the grand design i am a blueprint of it and so this playfulness this aliveness of designing with everything is what i am and who i am and even in scripture there there's this quote of you know um in the as part of the apocalypse which is really the unveiling right, right. or un uncovering it's it's not a catastroph catastrophic event it's an uncovering of truth. And the truth is, God dwells in man. We are co-creators with each other. Mm -hmm. And how we think, how we behave, how we feel, ultimately reflects in the world to us. Oftentimes, as I'm sure you've become aware in the work that you're doing, most folks don't realize that. They, they feel inadequate mm -hmm. as you know, being able to engage that side of them. Yeah. A lot of times because they simply don't have permission. Right. They're kind of oh. giving themselves permission. Because yeah. all the structures say, no, you can't do that. Right. Right. And 
to be very honest, my journey has been of not having permission uh, for so long. And it almost feels like <clears throat> my journey has been about experiencing extreme powerlessness so that I could experience the contrast of true power. And at the same time, the, the extreme of needing permission to even breathe to having permission to thrive and not right. just permission, but like being able to make that available for others. And so what I think that what you're naming, I, I feel like I've lived both sides of that in some way. And um, you know, my, my parents, actually my adopted parents, I was orphaned at birth and, and adopted um, as a teenager. After I had the NDE, I, I kind of got off on the fringes and, and they got really scared. And I did some silly things, bought a couple of sets of drums and spent my room and board money on it, right, for school. And so I had to move out and uh, looking for a place to, to get warm one night. It was 70 plus below zero windshield factor. And I'm knocking on frat house doors trying to find a warm place. And I ended up getting beat up. And I got to the hospital. My dad shows up. And eventually I got committed, right? And then... I, because of my experience and, and um, a previous psychiatrist that I'd seen that was open and, and conversant to what I was going through and, and not diminishing it in any way. He just said, be careful, don't talk to people because they're not, not going to understand you at your age. And I, I'm a blabbermouth, so I didn't really pay attention <laughs> to that. So, but with that process, man, that was crushing. And once I came out of that and uh, heavy dose of Thorazine as well at the time. Um, I came out with this lack of self-confidence and I'd shake on the inside so bad because I was, I was afraid of rejection or, or somebody sticking me back in. And it took me several years to, to just get over that. Yeah. Um, now, of course, it, it doesn't bother me. I can talk about it openly because it's all part of that process of knowing the extremes, yeah. right? You can't appreciate the heights if you don't experience the depths. Right, right. I mean, we are, you know, the, even the phrase that you use that we are cosmic consciousness uh, condensed into form, there is a polarity even in that statement of form and cosmic consciousness. And so that that polarity, that duality is like what we've chosen to come into and play. And, right. um, it, it and takes, when you step into it, it becomes one. Right, right, right. right. You know, and, and even science now, right? Right. We're, Absolutely. 99% space, you know, what's in between the proton, electron, and neutron, which aren't really solid anymore. They're just, you know, vibrating strings, but it's the space, right? And so that consciousness is there for us to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I feel that, you know, in some ways I, you know, with the people around me, my family, um, the people I grew up with and grew up around, there is an element of how can we play with this other, the bigger, the all. I, I tend to call it the all sometimes. Yeah. How do I play with that without um, without necessarily it being labeled as something? Um, exactly, because when we turn, and, and, when we start labeling, we limit. Right. Right. How can it just be? the normal of, of this is just who we are. And, 
and that's I think partly why I call myself the mindset weaver, which is about weaving that mindset which doesn't see this right. with the mindset that sees it with each other. And and because there must be some wisdom even in those who don't see it in that way. Right. What is the nugget there? And how do I weave those two together? And I don't think I figured out how to do it, but I'm on the journey. So <laughs> as we all are, one of the terms I was introduced to years back was the thoughtmosphere. The thoughtmosphere. <laughs> right? And and that's kind of one of those playful, is like it just automatically creates that idea of expansion. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're playing in the thoughtmosphere because that's all this is. Right. Right. is just thought mm -hmm. right we've created this somehow we don't necessarily understand how right <laughs> and yet science is proving uh, even the there's a russian academician um, her name's uh, moronova that gave a lecture of a dissertation of the recent scientific discoveries of course it was in russian fortunately had english subtitles my wife's russian so mm -hmm she likes to, to keep up on that kind of stuff, but she shared it with me and she shows or goes through this dissertation of the points of order of recent scientific discoveries mm -hmm. that identify and imbue this process that many are calling the ascension mm -hmm. of how we can actually grow into this. Uh, and, and it's a biospiritual evolution, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's science behind it now. So science is proving what the ancients have said for millennia. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. There's this wonderful blending and creating a wonderful dance too Beautiful. when you can incorporate the language. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And and I think that in I, I always wonder like how is the more we do the work that we do, the more we are moving towards that new world order. Um I, I, Which is of harmony among people and planet. Let, let's clarify that. Right? <laughs> and when we're moving in that direction, how many of us are already, um, whatever's in our atmosphere, our thoughtmosphere, how is that going to reflect in what science then starts to do, like find out? Because I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, in the 1920s when Einstein made the discoveries that he was you know, making that was just a reflection of what was happening in the thoughtmosphere. He was just available right. to language it. And we and can so, only evolve at the speed of surrender. Beautiful. Yep. And so to me, it's almost like I'm, I'm waiting for what, what is that going to look like for them now? Um, and what sort of those big languages, those new words, those new um, discoveries in science or other ways which are going to make it more visible. Um, well, and that's what, you know, Einstein has said, if you don't understand something well enough to explain it simply, hmm. then you really don't understand it. Hmm. So, uh, you know, now that we've been dumbed down to the fifth grade level in newspapers, right? How do you talk to fifth graders? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so how, how do you talk to those fifth graders? <laughs> I think it's it's about this is why I think it's the power of the feminine principle. Um, I don't think that energy needs words. It is how I hold a certain idea or concept in my being, which influences the way I'm speaking to somebody. And I could use the words that are mumbo jumbo, you mm -hmm. know. And so there's something about that of how it is held is what I'm learning as the power of 
like what is powerful when speaking to a fifth grader um, and you know even to give you a simple more tangible example uh, in my work in the nonprofit space we funders have the power you know so they determine the work that we can and cannot do and what I'm noticing is that my, by me just being me like how I'm being here with you without any editing for their worldview or my worldview when I'm just being me in those conversations there's something that shifts there's something that moves and they move towards the energy that is available and has a container in my being and so there's just something about that where now funders some of the funders they, they want to invest more in culture change and these sort of things which would just never happen and so to me right. there's there's a lot of power in the the energy behind the words that sort of leads towards then what the words do and for some for some people yes it is just about they're so close that it's just about shifting the language and they're there already and well, so and oftentimes there's this sense right and, and like Sharma's work and, and co-sensing and co-presencing mm -hmm. so there's this sense that that comes about when you're quiet when you're in that place of just being quiet being still um, I think James Redfield wrote about it in uh, Sussing Prophecy that I think it's the third prophecy where you just sit still until the words emote, yeah. right? You don't force them. There's no, who was it? Um, uh, there was some book about the Ishtar command sometime where Ishtar says, you know, there's no push or pull on cosmic telepathy, right? <laughs> there's simply flow. Yeah. Right. So and when you're in that quiet space and you're just being that channel, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's kind of what some you know new age call it. Um, you're being that conduit. Mm -hmm. um, it flows. And when you're in that still space and you can maintain that, then it, the the third brain philosophy comes into play. Right. Where you've got the gut, the heart and, and the head. And the guts where all the energy, where, where even the neuro um, neurosensors are then discovered that, yeah, they're, they're, they are there. This is where the vibration connects with you. And the entire audience can sense that at varying levels. And then from what I understand that you do, you, you sense that and you bring that up and then have uh, a playful engagement of it. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, no, absolutely. I, okay. I, I find, I do find that there is, um, I guess I just resist the notion of me bringing it forth because in my life, I just feel that there've been so many helping hands. Oh, absolutely. So much magic. And but you're still the one in the center of the circle. <laughs> right? I'll take it. I'll take it. Then. <laughs> Well, I know, it, and for me too, it's hard because it, it's such a humbling experience that that we really can't claim it of ourselves, and, and yet we show up for it to happen. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and there is also the the truth of because we're talking about energy in the fields, we are in a field which is degenerative, and the thought thoughtmosphere, while the hundredth monkey of the new world. Um, order towards that harmony hasn't yet had a tipping point and so what's what other things in the thoughtmosphere can also attach energetically to me as right, the right. conduit as the container and so 
one of the practices and, and one of my teachers gave me this practice that anything can become the shell over you and so you kind of always have to poke at it and break through it and so my practice is and this is sort of my own personal practice is to just like i'm just not the doer i don't want to be the doer <laughs> there is no doer here it's just right right well that's the philosophy to have and, and you know when, when you're in that place the doing gets done Beautiful. Um, it, and there's that quiet effervescence mm -hmm. that comes with it mm -hmm. um, and being that activity mm -hmm. uh, it, is really replete with the wisdom that's contained therein mm -hmm. right because you're not thinking about okay i need to do this next or i need to do that next mm -hmm. that shows up when it's ready for it to happen Mm -hmm. And the energy is what, you know, we monitor things that um, in the process and, and the process, you know, you said the, the tipping point reminded me of a uh, discussion I had with Jose Arguez years ago, that the tipping point of the solstice of 2012 was basically where the waxing of consciousness and awareness reached its apex. And then what do you do with that, right? Well, you apply that awareness back into existing systems. So initially in the discovery of this new world order that uh, discovering design uh, or the, the unfoldment of the natural design of it within us, then there's all of these things, the, the degenerative conversations, the degenerative energy, the, the thought forms, the systems that are awry and, and all the, the patterns that don't fit come to the surface. And man, what are we having right now, right? So this too shall pass because this is part of the process of an evolving um, planetary civilization, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's much it's happening much faster than it feels like. It it feels like we're very slow and stagnant in in the change in in change happening but um, and yet when we look back at the the cycles and and how much you know the truncated time frame right. you know, there's another guy um and i've mentioned this on on pressures uh his name's wilbert smith he ran the ufo investigation program for canada in the 50s and he had conversations with people from elsewhere and they told him we don't understand time time is a measurement in the change of entropy mm, Right. So as those degenerative things start to dissipate mm -hmm. at, and move towards harmony, then you can do more in less time right. because right. it's more har harmonious. And we have that sense of, wow, things are going really fast. And right. yet then there's that that paradox in the modern thought, right, where you have to slow down to speed up. Mm. <laughs> and do you find that to be true as well? Oh, so deeply, so deeply. Um there's this um there's this word in in uh greek called eudaimonia and um i've been i came across it somehow and the moment i read the definition that i was like oh now i have a word to describe what i'm experiencing because it feels like i'm not doing a lot but a lot is getting done through me and that paradox is just interesting and kind of a you know, kind of messes with your mind sometimes. It's like, what is happening? Well, yeah, because um, it's non-linear and non-local. Exactly. In a lot of cases. And we're used to linear thinking and, and you know, step one, step two, step three, and, and you know, uh, roads being flat. Right. Absolutely. 
and you know for me personally like that idea the world you know the road is flat that was so embedded that it was jarring to then experience this you know this time is time is slow and fast and both together and neither like okay <laughs> and wonder whether you know your sanity is kind of dissipating and, right. and yet, you know you got to be in to be sane right absolutely <laughs> and it's so heartening honestly to hear you talk about it because the the moments when we experience that it's quite isolating it's quite isolating sure. and so being and able then when to... you try to talk about it you become an outlier because nobody understands you <laughs> right right it's wacko uh, right. or at least early on mm -hmm. until they have because if you don't have a direct experience mm -hmm. it's really tough to as heinlein would say grok mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right because there's no reference points mm -hmm. uh, so what do you do and and this is where i think language comes in where you can paint the story with metaphors with puns with you know the fun and playful things like you're doing mm -hmm. which i think is just a, a such a wonderful way to approach it mm -hmm. right especially when you're dealing with nonprofit sectors as well as profit sectors mm -hmm. because you're 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 giving them the opportunity and permission to play mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and there's this just just this sense and it's an energetic sense um nobody wants to be serious we're so tired of being serious we're so tired of that energy of oh my god everything is broken we have to fix it and there's such a huge Isn't that a star space. somewhere though <laughs> like there's such a huge opportunity to enjoy the process of transformation um it doesn't make it easy it doesn't make it um challenging it those are inherent in transformation is inherently that right. but there is an opportunity to dance and sing and play while going through it um and when you're outside the box you can read the labels easier <laughs> right right and you know like a, a joke that just came up in my head is like when the caterpillar goes into the you know the chrysalis it probably has the most playful time in its head we just don't experience it like there's something about that stepping into uncertainty which must in the design of creation must be inherently playful like evolution feels so playful it's like oh yeah. i want to put this on this animal just let's try this weird mutation it's so playful um it is. And, and why can't we be that why can't we bring about change with that and i have a thing here and one of the things that i've written up here which i read every morning is the my only job is to offer my perceptions to humanity as creatively and playfully as i can that's my job i don't care what comes at the end of it um what's and, that still small voice mm -hmm. right that that we utter mm -hmm. and we don't have to wave a flag we don't have to use a bullhorn yeah. matter of fact we sit quietly and you know the quieter you speak the more people mm -hmm. tend to listen mm -hmm. it's an amazing process yeah so can you uh, can you think of an example that you've where you've seen a, a or witnessed or facilitated a uh a transformation in a group mm. and what did you notice that offered evidence of it mm. i'll give you an example of um 
I recently, um, so I work for an innovation lab and we merged with a much larger public research organization and this 200, 300 employee staff um, organization has an all staff meeting once a month. And as the new organization merging into it, we were given an opportunity for 10 minutes in this one hour meeting to talk about ourselves. And, you know, the normal, my executive director um, had slides and things, you know, the normal thing that would right, happen right. in the structure. Yeah. Death by PowerPoint. <laughs> Death by PowerPoint. And, um, and it was, again, that, that, that desire to play and that knowingness, that instinct. And, you know, I just said, no, let's do something that shows what we are, makes people feel who we are rather than talk about it. And um, I ended up performing in this. So it's interesting because for the first 40 minutes, it's like typical meeting, meeting, meeting. And then 10 minutes, I did one of my performances of one of my poems, um, which deeply went, goes to that three, the three part brain place and takes mm -hmm. you there. Mind, thought stays still a little bit here. And um, or rather cognition, because thought also emerges from that place. And right. it, it, it just, the the space that opens up that um in the chat and the way people were responding with the words like this is refreshing this is this touched every cell in my body like to me even if two people said that but it was overwhelming how many people said that but two people felt like they touched something deeper they went to a deeper place and from that place to come to our work to come to our doing I think it's the biggest, um, it's the biggest transformation. It's the biggest transformation. Like that will become the transformation of the system. And so to me, moments like that, where my mind just goes, okay, what would the most extraordinary woman in the world do in this moment? Like that's sort of my key. And so and you just fearlessly perform. I just right? did. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you look around and this is one of the things I said to Jeffrey Mishlove years ago is that, you know, how do you determine? Well, you look around and when you're safe, you're safe. There, there's nothing, you know, nobody's got a gun. Nobody's getting ready to hit you, you know, so just play. Why not? Absolutely. And, and you know, play, I think it's like play. I did what I felt was, this is what wants out in this moment. And how do I tie it to what is relevant? to this moment exactly this moment. that was the next question i was going about how do you make it practical and pragmatic when you're working with groups that uh, that have goals and objectives and metrics mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so for example in this this poem was called i will be loud and um it was about really inviting people to speak what they see but don't say about or talk mm -hmm. about and it was in this context and then the way we tied it was, what do you want to be loud about? And then ground that even further into, so this is all in the education space. Right. Um, and there are a lot of equity issues in our education systems. And so being able to tie that back to that, and then we said, we put it for a very clear invitation. Three weeks from now, we're going to have a conversation about this. What is something that you want to be loud about? here's a way to respond. And again, it was overwhelming how many people were like, yeah, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. And the truth of the matter is that not having the permission, the invitation 
to talk about those things that we feel is part of the degenerative mean. Absolutely. I taught high school for a number of years. I, I ran an anger management group mm -hmm. uh, for detainees um, at an inner city school. And, you know, the, the kids that are loud and obnoxious and troublemakers and the, nobody's listening to them. That's why they do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And, and as teachers, you know, we put the kids in a box. Mm -hmm. We're still inside the box. We don't know how to step out of the box to read the labels, let alone, you know, figure out what, what those ingredients mean. Right. Right. And then we expect them to behave certain ways and, and we don't give them the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, my habit is I'll go into something, I'll, I'll play in it for a while and I'll step back and I'll write something that makes it better. Right. I, I like to improve stuff. So I wrote a business plan for a model school for at-risk kids that was based on holistic education. At the time, this was in the late nineties, early aughts. Um, the only place that holistic education was being taught was in Australia. And they were still, you know, it was mind, body, spirit stuff, but they still weren't including nature. And so this plan that I built and actually had the opportunity to present it at the Rebuild Festival recently, kind of a revamp of it, uh, was about, you know, creating the atmosphere to bring all this, to bring the natural rhythms and cycles and, and opportunities and, and energy into that place that gives us the ability to dig deep and be comfortable with it and help others in that place where we're all one. Right. Yeah. And, and even in that oneness, we, we use the term oneness and it's like this global nebulous kind of thing. Well, we're each a strand or, or a thread in that tapestry of oneness. And kids today, we don't uh, we don't assess them on their aptitude, their attitude, their proclivities in, in order to empower them to follow those. Mm -hmm. Right. Which are those natural um, the first signs or indicators of natural skill sets within them. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is part of what I think we need to do in order to create this next wave in the new world order, because these are our future. Mm -hmm. And we need to, to access it. And I think it's pretty much the same thing what you're saying, you know, with, with adults, because adults are just grown up kids that have never had the opportunity to experience that yet. Yeah. So there's a lot of retraining. Yeah. Um, what's the, the word? Um, entrainment mm -hmm. that needs to take place. I like to think of it like, and you know, this is me being very vulnerable, but I like to think of myself as, as I'm just parenting all the time. I'm parenting when I'm working, I'm parenting. I don't have any kids of my own, but there's something about what you said that, you know, adults are also just kids that were never taught. There's something about that, which really deeply resonates. The culture that is degenerative has been parenting everybody and Right. You, can't, you, you can't shift culture overnight. Um, the media, for the most part. Exactly. And, and so for me, it, it's it's powerful to think of my role as that. Like, I'm just parenting. There's no judgment. There's You can't blame a five-year-old if you, the five-year-old doesn't know how to do something. Um, and It's interesting to have those internal parent, parental conversations, too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and there are moments where I'm like, you yeah. know, but the yeah. kids don't need to see that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there's there's that um, this this notion of just parenting and parenting the world, parenting every conversation, parenting every relationship, parenting every conflict, um, which feels um, interesting. And I, I, as I'm saying that, I'm like, 
you know, I don't have kids. I wonder what my parents, my actual parents would think of when they hear me say this. But there is something there that feels is more the, the, the feminine approach to this moment, um, which is about bringing people along no matter where they are um, and coming from that in, in a place of complete acceptance of why they are stuck or why they don't see oneness or why they don't understand consciousness or whatever it might be. Right. Just being able to accept that. Just giving them permission to be who they are. To be who they are. And not want to take them anywhere. Right. Just learning who they are. And, and, you know, it's like we in situations of perceived conflict, it's often because they arrive at the same place with different dictionaries and they don't understand each other's. Right. And so there's that slowing down in order to understand each other's dictionary. Sometimes there's a negotiator or mediator or, or you know, somebody like you that steps in and, and says, hey, I, I understand what's going on. And let's just talk about this. Let's, let's figure out what each of us mean when we say these things or, or what we feel when we say them. Mm, mm, mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. So, the, the, you know, kind of what we're talking about is the merging of inner and outer realities, right? Mm -hmm. So how, and you've been describing this and, and, you know, we've had talks elsewhere that kind of imbue that. How do you see that as being part of this um, emergence mm -hmm. in the shifting of conversations to co-presencing and, and, uh, and co-sensing? and how that's affecting the ripple through organizations. Well, I'll, I'll speak to how I think about it personally, um, okay. and that sort of reflects in the work that I do. Um, I do something counterintuitive to myself before I had my own sort of moments of realizations and awakenings, um, which is I, I come to every experience as a symbolism sure. which means which means that i'm my inner world is is deciding what i'm doing in an outer situation right and that right. means that if my own and i'll give you a specific example if i am personally going through some healing around um let's say some sexual trauma that i've been through and that's something my inner world is sort of going through that and i'm making space for that inside my mind the way I'm going to show up for things when that is happening internally for me is not, there's no separation. It doesn't mean I'm going to speak that into the container, but who I want to be to heal that wound is how I will perceive this moment in front of me, this conversation, this organization that I'm consulting for. And I've noticed that that approach of living a symbolic life where everything here is actually truly in service of my inner journey. And when I'm living in that way, it almost feels like even when I don't know and I haven't thought everything I need to think about this conversation with this nonprofit funder, what they need to hear, I'm just leading with what my inner journey is moving me towards is exactly what they need. And it becomes this regenerative loop between the outer and the inner, which is just the most powerful, energizing Absolutely. experience because it feels like, oh, I don't need, I mean, it doesn't even matter what the conversation is about. It's about what I want to be in service to, to my inner journey. And I just need to show up as that. And it's the most liberating thing because then I don't have to use any of my energy and resources to say the right thing and plan the best 
work plan, the best agenda. It, it's more about that interplay between my right. inner world and the outer world as reflected in all these things. Now, I want to make this distinction too. You have practiced this, right? So I, I'm sorry, the five P's just came up of patience, persistence, perseverance, passion, and purpose. There's a sixth one, and that's practice, mm. right? So in the, so you've developed this, and it, it's become first nature to you mm -hmm. as a skill set, mm -hmm. right? And to be able to step in that place, into that place, not to step into it, but to be that, mm -hmm. right? Where there's no distinction. You just are that all the time. Not only is it a tremendous, tremendously empowering place, it's a tremendously scary place for most people to go to, mm -hmm. right? Because it's so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for us to be vulnerable because in that place, um, we're defenseless mm -hmm. and we think we have to defend ourselves. And, you know, when you're on this path long enough, you realize that the perfect defense is emptiness, mm. right? Is vulnerability. Mm. And in that place, then that reciprocal energy as it moves through you and the other mm. shifts mm -hmm. because most of the time, um, and I think this is pretty ubiquitous in understanding, right? We meet energy with how we receive it. Yeah, absolutely. right. So if we feel aggress, we're going to aggress. Mm -hmm. And in the mindset weaving idea, you recognize the aggression, you go, Oh, okay. Um, and you just let it, mm -hmm. right? There's no reciprocal energy from that place, which essentially allows it to dissipate. So you've got a, a raving, uh, I'm thinking of an example, I, I used to run major events here and had a bunch of, of vendors that came because they were not going to get uh, street traffic. I knew it. So I expected them to gang up on me at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't sure when it was going to happen. When it did, they were all ranting and raving and I'm standing in the middle, literally standing in the middle of this circle of a dozen people mm -hmm. and they're venting. And I'm just letting them vent. I'm smiling. I'm, I'm reframing, you know, doing the active listening thing to let them know that, yeah, I'm hearing you. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it, I said, okay, what I'm hearing you say is you need to be moved to where you get foot traffic. Mm -hmm. That was it. And the whole thing just kind of went, ah, oh, he heard us. I said, okay, give me a half hour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went and made it happen. Yeah. yeah. But those are the kinds of things that, it's not it's never really about you it's about where the, the other person is at how they're perceiving the wounds that they have and what is what's being triggered and your ability to recognize all of that and still be still yeah you know is what you're bringing up is really powerful um i want to speak to the the defense and the 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 fear that comes with this practice and and i mm -hmm. want to speak to that because i feel felt that so deeply um and i'm sure a lot of the people who are listening to this or you yourself have felt that and um i i see i see that even in that fear of stepping into the emptiness stepping into the vulnerability there is a nugget of wisdom 
And for me, what I have learned is, and it's, it's, I like to think of it as when I started out this practice, sometimes I went too blending of the inner and outer and it was uncomfortable for those around me. It was like, who are you? That right, was too right. much. And then there was also too little. And, and it was years of like swinging until, you know, you find that point where it's, it just, there's a balance and there isn't a, um, there isn't a repercussion which others experience um, without intention of my integration. It just mm -hmm. is. And so um, I just almost want feel like saying that there's an intelligence in that swinging, in that not wanting to be vulnerable and then being able to be vulnerable. There is some wisdom in that. It's, it's almost like- We couldn't like understand the learning if we weren't able to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like, that's the part of the practice. You practice by mm -hmm. going back and forth. And um, the other piece that I want to speak to is around, you know, your example of aggression or what we see. What, I, what I'm realizing, honestly, Zen, is that I will not even perceive aggression if, um, how do I want to say this? I can only see in others what exists inside of me. So that means this Perfect. notion when we say that everything, you know, is one, that's not just for the good stuff, the love, and that's true for all the garbage too. It's mm -hmm. true for both things. And so when we, at least for me, my practice has been, oh, I still sense aggression here. Where is it within me? You know, when I'm in a conversation or, you know, a political person is saying something and it's, I'm receiving it as aggression. It's a cue for me. Oh, there's still some left in here. Yeah, I'm okay, pushing somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's really hard to do. Oh, it's, absolutely. It is the hardest, most humbling practice that I have ever been taught of any time. There is any sort of, okay, first let's look within, see where it is inside here. In some, with time, you get more and more good at noticing it, quickly moving through it, and then you can't even... You don't even like register the the aggression, right? And, I, and you don't you know it's kind of like cosmic aikido, where you you're you're moving the energy, and yet it's creating no harm to the other, even though that you're turning it back on them, mm -hmm. right? Because it's coming from that place in you that essentially becomes a filter, mm -hmm. and then moves into them in a completely different place than where they presented it from. Mm. And I think the Aikido move is the the flipping inward and being like, okay, I got to work with the aggression in here because of, you know, quantum entanglement, like me working on that element inside of me, because we are in conversation, we're in a shared field, it is going to flip in that person versus me trying to in the outer world trying to get them to see what i'm thinking and get on the same page or change what they're doing like to me that's the true trick the the true um it's the magic it's magic the magic it's but it's not magic. magic you just mentioned it's quantum entanglement in body yeah absolutely. right and this is uh, you know synchronicities perfect example of it that we recognize as we're moving along the path and deepening our awareness, right? That's one of the first things that shows up to let us know, yeah, there, there's something more here. And, you know, there's the connection with what I'm thinking and what's happening and the recognition of it as a synchronicity mm -hmm. um, or the request and response, right? How that comes. 
So there is science mm -hmm. behind this. Mm -hmm. This isn't just some woo woo new age kind of stuff, which there was a lot of back in the eighties and nineties. Mm -hmm. And that was a good thing, right? But it still left, you know, uh, people were so spiritual that they were no earthly good. Right. Right, because you they couldn't connect that celestial consciousness or, or cosmic consciousness with a practical and pragmatic living mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And now that's shifting. Absolutely. And you know, the example that I love to give is, you know, in 500 BC, um, the world being a sphere was woo-woo. <laughs> like there were a few people who were on the edge and were like, oh, the world's not flat, people. And they were like, oh, there's crazy woo-woo people. So right. there's something about that that brings a lot of humor to me in this moment of like, yeah, and now are we on the woo-woo side or are we on the, oh, this might actually be true. It's uh, like Agent K talking <laughs> to Agent J, right? You know, 500 years ago, we thought the earth was flat. You know, 10 minutes ago, you thought that there was no other, you know, uh, so it's that and, and it's a rapid pace awakening and, and realization that there's a lot more when we're able to just be quiet and listen and ask better questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those questions usually are of ourselves, not necessarily of, of what's going on, but okay, what, what's in this for me? And it's not a selfish place, it's a selfless place. And, and yes. so this shift from selfishness to selflessness is kind of how the law of one right is where you've got the uh, the two you know service to self and service to others the, the ultimate service to others is or service to self is service to others Absolutely. Uh, where everyone is gratified mm -hmm. and fulfilled mm -hmm. in that place and and it can be excruciatingly fun <laughs> right when, when you know when stuff's happening that it's like, oh man, here we go. But you know where the outcome's gonna be. Right, go. right. And I would say that, you know, like service to self is actually service to the cosmos. Like it is- True service it, to self, yes. It is that interplay between inner and outer. Like it is, if I could, okay, if I had like one minute to speak into the ear of every human being on this planet, what I would want to whisper to them is you don't even have any idea how fucking powerful you are. Like that is just what I would want. Sounds to like Marianne Williamson. No, <laughs> right. You're not scared of the darkness. You're scared of your own light. Exactly. I am, to be very honest with you, that I am terrified of myself because there are moments when I'm like, I do not just manifest that in seconds. Like it is in so terrifying and I get it. I get it, you know, and it's also, it's that swinging. It's that swinging. We go into the terror. We, we get comfortable with our light. We get comfortable with our darkness. And then we find that perfect balance, that perfect harmony. And in, in you know, the, the language that I use is the balance between the masculine and the feminine. Mm -hmm. And I was just writing about this, that when we are able to walk our fears along with us, we reach a place where the the level of connection that we get to self and we get to everything there is nothing greater than that there just isn't it's right. worth the walking with your fear every right. single time it shows up it's so worth it and anybody who's in that place like i would say keep going walk with your fear keep walking with your fear absolutely 
Absolutely. The, the, the impetus of doing the one world in the begin in the beginning back 1990 was to look for that golden thread of how people work through fear and how they could share that with others on their way to feeling free. Right. And so, you know, there's this, um, and I did 120 shows, almost 200 guests with, from all kinds of different walks of life. Mm -hmm. And that consistency of people saying the same thing differently mm -hmm. really was, was a education, a PhD for me, mm -hmm. right. In, in learning how each other or how people spoke the same thing differently because it, it was the energy, right. You could sense where, where they were at, what they moved through and where they went with it. And then what they could share with the audience for a daily practice or, or advice or something like that. And so that's kind of the, uh, and you jumped ahead when you shared, right? It's like, are you in my head? Because, right? <laughs> Maybe uh, I you are. <laughs> right? I mean, technically we are. Absolutely. We are both in each other's heads. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because I am another you, and yeah. you are another me. And so we're just having this dance and fun and, and playful, you know, and sharing that, yeah, it's okay to, you know, to walk with your shadow, to even dance with it, learn how mm -hmm. to create tunes so you can have more fun with your shadow mm -hmm. and get others to, to recognize that mm -hmm. uh, for themselves. And often, you know, there, there's the shared space of that. There's a commiseration, if you will, of, yeah, we're all going through the same stuff differently, mm -hmm. but we're all going through the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, as you were talking, these two lines from a poem that I written, um, I, I hope I recall them accurately but it's it's me making peace with this thing when i was making peace with it of the walking with the shadow and, and the line goes um i i mate with my shadows to increase our intimacy and i go down on my light to make it come profusely and there's something about that which i think is there's something about bowing to our power and there's something about making love to our shadows, which feels like the right work. Um, in both those cases, there is the love, but also the humility, which is needed to walk on this path. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about like, we're all doing the same, we're going through the same thing. The, the thing that started coming up in my mind was, you know, for example, you and I are comfortable with the language of cosmic consciousness condensed into form. Right. And it takes us to that field of oneness. We feel it when we use that language. And on the flip side, I think of somebody who is a devout Christian and who you know, has the notion that um, all people are children of God. They're children of Jesus or whoever they might yeah. take. So what are we when we grow up? And, and to me, there's something about, <laughs> there's something about that, that frame also reaching into that same field of connectedness just the language is different just the absolutely the interpretation is different right and, and in that way it makes me feel so much more hopeful that there as long as we can keep finding that field of connectedness even no matter what language we're using what words we're using to denote what we believe in what we care about we can keep finding our way to each other we can keep finding sure. our way to each other um, and, and one of the ways that, at least I expressed it anyway, that I created a short video that, uh, you know, the referencing the great light and the point of light, 
right? And that we are all connected and it, it's referenced in every religion, but it's not religion specific, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's not affiliated with religion. And now science is even showing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So there's this apocalypse that's taking place where the layers of the onion are being filled back to show, yeah, that everything is one mm -hmm. and science is gonna prove it. Um, as long as we continue down this path of willingness to test our truth, you know, to put our truth on the chocolate block and, and whack away at it and then accept what's there when it's left. But to have the audacity to question it, right, where most folks that, that are in these religious paradigms are taught not to question uh, to that degree. You know, you can question yourself and, and your relationship with God or your relationship with Jesus or Buddha or Zoroaster or, or Muhammad or whoever, right? And yet we're not supposed to question the, the veracity of, or the, yeah, I suppose the veracity of who's giving that information to us mm -hmm. and how, you know, we can take that glean the essence of what's there and set aside what feels like it's being pushed or pulled mm -hmm. um, even to the point where there's this um it's almost a curation right mm -hmm. of all these different streams and recognizing that yeah the, the this cosmic consciousness and how do we live that well it's harmony mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in all things and so moving towards that it's not and, and this is a misunderstanding i think that most people have when they hear harmony they equate it with bliss or utopia mm -hmm. right and that's not the british and american tv shows right <laughs> um but <laughs> um in that place harmony actually is the management of chaos mm -hmm. right and and just or, or the balance of it within us because that those things, those emotions, those triggers, those um, sensations and thoughts and feelings that we have are still going to be there because we're human, that we have those things, we're emotional beings, we're going to have that sense. Mm -hmm. The power comes in just watching it mm -hmm. and not being controlled by it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, personally, a question that I hold, um, I I went to Catholic schools growing up in India and I've experienced corporal punishment from the nuns. And so I kind of have a lot of emotional Your guilt and shame game, right? <laughs> and so, and when I think about all of those things and how I'm holding that question of those beliefs, and this is my own personal work and I haven't gotten to a point where I can say, yay, I get it. Um, but the question that I hold is what if harmony looks like me being able to see their belief as valid and complete and more being able to be in right relationship with them, have mm. in right conversation with them, in doing things together in the world. And on the flip, for them to be able to take my worldview and be like, you can have that, and yet we can harmonize. Right. And to me, so there's something about that and I don't I'm not there yet but well, I want to get there it, it's essential and I know we're I'm not either right mm -hmm. because there's a fallacious narrative that's in place right now that's pitting people against people the masters the non-maskers the vaxxers the non-vaxxers and and yet here we 
we're together. Mm-hmm. We're still one planet, one people, and we've got to learn how. It, and even Klaus Schwab wrote this in his book, um, COVID-19, The Great Reset. Now, he's in a different place with all of this, but he asked the question, can we be caring and compassionate toward each other coming out of COVID? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, now, I'm sure he meant that in a, uh, that question was coming from a completely different place because being the you know founder of the World Economic Forum, he's at one of the heads of this movement to try and dominate and control the population. Mm-hmm. I get that they are concerned for the continuation of humanity. And we don't often consider that that is probably where they're really coming from. They're not necessarily evil, mm-hmm. right? Their mechanisms just appear so because we can't see it from a higher place. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean it's right or wrong? We don't know yet. What is possible is that we learn to get along no matter what and deal with whatever suffering it happens in the process and use that effectively to help make us better people and more compassionate and even develop better systems for delivery of things that we need, mm-hmm. the, the shifting, you know, like we were talking earlier about the, the apex and, and putting this consciousness back into existing systems. Mm-hmm. The systems aren't awry, it's the, the use of them that right. is and how they're being ma- uh, managed. Right. Right? So we just need to shift that a little bit because it appears from all the information that's available, not just a select area, that we still have enough space We've got enough food. Uh, we have the mechanisms and the technology to, to provide the food to many more people than we have right now and the space to house them. Mm-hmm. So coming from that place, these kind of conversations are, are I guess, a, a, a little more aligned towards uh, a better end, mm-hmm. right? Because we're thinking possibility uh, instead of uh, scarcity. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I mean, how do we recognize abundance right. rather than create abundance um, is, is, is the core question there. Um, there is, the, we don't have a problem of availability of things. We have a problem of blockages, which these systems, a system's core purpose is to perpetuate itself. It's not right. wrong. A system does that. That's what is why. That's why we have systems. If photosynthesis stopped, we'd have a big problem. It's good that it just happens on its own. Right. And so there's something about that which um, understanding the mechanism of a system and then being able to find those blockages. Bottlenecks, as Goldratt called them. What was that? Bottlenecks. Um, Bottlenecks. Yeah. Uh, Goldratt uh, wrote a book called The Goal. Goal. And uh, so he talked about the bottle, bottleneck in, in uh, production processes, mm-hmm. right? And so that, that's what we're looking for to just kind of, okay, we just need to nudge it this way or that way or, you know, make minor changes. And how to like, because there's something about mechanical blockages which seem understandable to us, but not human blockages in the sense of human relationship conversation, the ways we do things. And I'm speaking more to that of, how can we get right. those uh, blockages and be able to shift those and, and clear those out? Well, and they're the same patterns. Different. They just appear differently. Exactly. Same. They are. They're the same patterns. And which is why I feel that, you know, you and I and people like us and many more, we can 
we can create, we can um, make visible the abundance, we can make um, cultural change tangible, we could point to things and be like, there it's happening, there it's happening. And it's, it's just a matter of, in some ways, the new world order is already here. It has been. It's more about having the eyes to see it and live into it in this moment right. and then the next right. moment and then the next moment. And the change naturally happens when we do that mm -hmm. because we're guided to do those things that are resonant mm -hmm. as opposed to cacophonic. Mm -hmm. It's all about, oh, that feels comfortable. That doesn't feel comfortable. And we need to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. You know, Kai D, um, who played Wo Fat on the original Hawaii Five-0, um, I interviewed him on, on my first show. He's a Dallas, uh, rector of a Dallas sanctuary here in Tempe. And he said to me one day, you know, it, it's in Taoism, there's only two things, desire, what's desirable and what's undesirable, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's how you distinguish. And, and that's where the third brain or the first brain mm -hmm. comes in. This is the third, right? Because this yeah. is where the, cognit the cognition comes mm -hmm. after the processing of the vibrations yeah. um, as to being desirable or undesirable mm -hmm. and the, you know it's so simple <laughs> and yet we have all of these systems that make it so complex yeah. you know so hopefully what we what we're doing with conversations like this is, is honoring that complexity uncovering the simplicity mm -hmm. and then allowing that back into the system to have its way with it Right. <laughs> do what it does best, which is B and B and B. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, we're, we're probably headed towards the end here. What I'd like, do you have something, a simple practice or, or something that you can give to the audience that could help them on a daily or, or moment to moment even basis when things come up? Because it's as the awareness increases and they're paying more attention to how they're thinking and feeling, there's this observer that, that becomes present, right? Mm -hmm. So how can, or, or what can you offer that would help to um, empower that observer? Mm -hmm. Or offer something that, you know, uh, you're sensitive, you know, how does that divine feminine come up in you? <laughs> At this point, she's everywhere. I don't even know. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, there's no distinction between her and I. All um, right. So how would the masculine mm. embrace the feminine? Mm. That's a yummy question. <laughs> I would have so much to say about it. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Trick question. I love that question. The masculine is how I think about it is, is the container. It is a support. The feminine is the diffused energy that is able to just be multidimensional. And this has got nothing to do with gender. It's you have, I have both, everything right. has both. Um, and the way I think the way I like to think about it is we need the support, the structure. And it's almost like that sort of co-arises with the diffusion, the energy. But then there's something about the masculine being able to see the native power of the feminine, which is that clairvoyance, which is that ability to see the unseen and be able to honor that and respect that and 
seek that as medicine versus as something to be um, afraid of, be something to um, that can take away your power and more see that as the wings of the masculine because the masculine is so good at doing, which the feminine is not like that. Yeah, we're task driven. And so there's <laughs> the ability of the masculine to be able to get direction, get direction from the seer and then be able to implement it in its own power, in its own way. I think that is, um, that's what I would, you know, the work is within me personally to balance the masculine and the feminine is for me to trust my feminine, to trust my intuition and not be like, oh, that's scary to do, so I'm not gonna do it. Like that piece is so essential where we are so afraid of our own power that we can see, the feminine can see, there's the clearance. I mean, just but since matter is the mirror of everything in the energetic world, my body, I have a womb. I can create the future inside my body. That is a clear, tangible representation of the power of the feminine. I can mm -hmm. see the future. And the ability for us to be able to see into the potentials and speak them into being, and then the, the masculine to take those and just run with it in all different directions. That's what evolution is. It runs with mutations in all different directions, but grounded in that possibility that the feminine sees. Um, we'll, we'll be there pretty soon. Like it's, it's just a matter of that little shift. And I do want to offer one thing, which, um, is more ground towards that first question you've asked of people who are, you know, starting to have the observer and, um, and I wish I had this when I was starting my journey. It's the simple phrase that the right choice is the one you make. The right choice is the one you made. The right choice is the one you will make meaning that we can't get this wrong even if right. in the moment it can feel like oh i went into my fear i did this or whatever oh i'm not observing i'm still well, and, and you take yourself out of the moment when you do that right exactly and it's all everything is on plan on time and the only thing that is needed is for us to keep stepping into our own becoming step, stepping into our own becoming and that's pretty much the job cool and as a male i acquiesce <laughs> <laughs> and then we co-lead <laughs> exactly exactly nancy this has been just a wonderful conversation i so appreciate the opportunity to have it with you and i'm sure our audience will feel equally uh, and maybe they got more out of it because we're engaged and they're able to be the observers right um thanks again for coming and i appreciate the work you do the information about you will be below the video for those of you who want to check you out uh find your website your contact information and discover more about you and uh, again namaste and in la catch thank you for watching one world and we'll see you next time